Okay, thanks um, Thanks for inviting me to speak today. I was really pleased. Um, yeah, I'm Jo McNeil and I'm the currently the Fair Access and Admissions Manager at the University of Liverpool. Um, I was formerly um, part of the AIM Higher partnership uh, uh, nationally and um, but I'm gonna I'll, I'll I'll get to that. I'll get to that. Okay. Um firstly I think um I'm a bit there's probably other people in the room similar to me like, but I'm a bit of a WP case study myself. So um I'm from a very working class background in Liverpool, still live like in the inner city, still live in what most people who if you come to Liverpool would maybe call a rough area, but I've lived there all my life and it's lovely, trust me. Um all four of my grandparents were immigrants into this country, so um, you know, uh, you know, we've we, we've come through all, all all of the living. My grandparents lived in the slums in the inner city and things, so nobody had ever been anywhere near, uh, you know, a university education in, in my family. In fact, when they, um, I was brought up by my grandmother, and when I said to me nan, I was thinking about going to university, and I said, you know, how'd you get to university? She said, you get the sixty-one bus. So you know, that that was that was the progression route that that I got told. Um, and we um, usually we lived in the shadows of the buildings, so it was like you know I always say the kids who live in the shadows of our buildings at the University of Liverpool are the least likely to to go into that university, and it was never seen as like a welcoming place. There was a, a I mean I lived literally two minutes walk from the campus when I was a kid, and um, there's a park in the middle of our campus. And if anyone's ever been up to the University of Liverpool, got a lovely um, green space in the centre called Abercrombie Square. That's really nice. Now, if I had known that was there when I was a kid, I'd have, we'd have gone to the park, but we didn't know it existed, and it was literally around the corner. So that, that tells you a lot about how welcoming we felt the institution was in them days to, to people like us. Um, you know, I didn't go to a great school. I went to a very poor performance school. It was the, we, I was the year that the first year that did GCSEs and everything changed, um, uh, and our teachers couldn't really cope with that. We had a massive cohort, 300 kids in each year, by about the fourth year, I just didn't go to school anymore. We just didn't bother. It was like it, it was like the Wild West. Our school it was really bad, um, and I came out of school with no qualifications, and I went into a stream of like really rubbish, low-paid jobs, and you know that went on for about ten. But well, till I was about uh, twenty-four when I started having my son. I got pregnant with my son, and I thought I either stay in these rubbish jobs or I do something about it, and I, I, I get myself a bit of an education and I, and I try to make something better in my life and I went and went on an access course and I had no intention, I hadn't even thought of the way to university, it was to try and get a better job basically. Um, I did an access course which was great and one of the tutors said to me wouldn't you think of going to university and it never occurred to me and I said okay and I thought oh well that university by our house looks nice I'll, I'll maybe you know try and get in that one and the same tutor said to me oh don't go there that's not for like people like you. And I thought, well, I will go there then. <laughs> if you tell me I can't, that made me all the more adamant that I would. So I worked out, I got in, did my degree, which I was like a complete fish out of water, didn't have a clue. We were talking about like locating ourselves in, in, in places and feeling belonging and uh, feeling comfortable. Just, you know, really, I, I, I was adamant I was going to get the degree at this point, so I, I stayed there, but I was <coughs> never, ever, never felt comfortable at all in that, in that space. Um, and I stayed, did my master's, um, and as, when I came out of that, I, I, and I was an English graduate as well, linking with the two people who've spoken earlier, um, and when I came out of that, um, I 
I'd, during my um, Masters I'd started doing some volunteering work with the Wagner Participation Team because they'd asked me to as a mature student you know, to, to, to go and do some, some time with them. Um, and they, there was a position going as like a graduate advocate at the time and I was the oldest of the graduate advocates. I was like, all the rest of them were like just fresh out of university and I was nearly 30. So it was, um, uh, but I got that post and I loved it. I started working in WP with um, the, the primary project, uh, which some of you may have encountered. Um, you know, we had this thing called Professor Fluffy uh, and we used to go into schools and things like that. But as part of that um, WP team, we... Um, the person who led the WP down at the University of Liverpool, Trish Jenkins, some of you may have come across her. She was very interested in, in sort of developing the team. She was very interested in uh, you know pushing us into into sort of zones we were a little bit uncomfortable with. So she wanted us to evidence what we were doing, and we all you know pretty much straight away had to start you know evaluating the project we were doing and writing and and you know get getting our evidence base basically to show that what we were doing was working. So you know some people might call that you know research evaluation you know there's a there's a bit of a blurred line isn't there so um from when from the wp team i then got a job in aim higher um and uh, worked my way through there to ended up as the research monitoring and evaluation manager for aim higher there was lots of practitioner research going on with aim higher you know those of you who who recall the initiative um will remember how important it was for us to get evidence to show that that was working um and we all did our absolute utmost to do that. So there was constant ongoing research, monitoring, evaluation all the time. And I loved doing all of that. And I was, you know, never had any problem with it. I thought it was fantastic and I was really good at my job. Now I'm doing a PhD. I'm the, uh, in contextual data in admissions. Um, and the fact that now I have to sort of sit down and formally write research and you know thinking about publications which have been chatting to Penny in the break of you know I'm thinking about publishing things it absolutely makes me nerves go completely and I, I feel like I'm you know pretending to be an academic now so after all of these years of doing all of this research and all of this work and all of the formal education stuff that I've done I, I feel like I've still got a, a lot of sort of baggage like a WP baggage that I'm carrying with me that I, it, it's it's uncomfortable for me and I don't feel like I, I belong in the sort of academic I'm comfortable being a practitioner that's that's fine I'm in my comfort zone there and I'm not really comfortable being um being an academic but it's it's a struggle that I've personally got and I'm writing this in the, you know the past couple of weeks I've been thinking about this seminar as being quite a, a a reflective process for me and I've started to think well other people probably don't think like that about me. It's, it's it's my own, you know, self perceptions, and I think that's a big problem when we're looking at. And um, you know, Rachel said earlier about you know there's a fear about these sort of worlds sort of coming together and you know, the bridges between them. Um, I think it was Alex talking about the bridges. You know, the, the there's a fear to go to go into each other's worlds and I think that comes from you know who the people are who you know who make up the academic body and who makes up the the, the more practitioner um world and I'm glad I've gone third as the speaker today because I was my nerves have gone about speaking here today um and I was thinking a lot of the the way I'm thinking about this may not be what what you know penny wants for this for the seminar and i, and I think that I, you'd have that self-doubt all of the time when you when you're sort of either publishing something or speaking about uh, about an area of research and after hearing the other two speakers uh, both of you spoke about things that you know uh, uh, 
really rung true with me as well and it's it's like a language thing I think it's like you know um I think it was Alex who said uh, the poet um was uh, I'm gonna get a name wrong now is it m- 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 what's the girl's name Cherry Miraga yeah so she says I lack language and I think when you come from a sort of practitioner um, background, some practitioners are great and some practitioners have done very formal research qualifications in the past and have got a real sort of, you know, um, skill set there. Some of them are fantastic at doing the job that they're doing, but haven't got that formal research education and they haven't got that language and they haven't got those kinds of skills. I mean, just saying the, the course that um, I did with Penny, um, I remember when I fit one of the first ones I went in and I think you were talking about um, post-structural feminism at one point and I remember sitting at the back of the class thinking, what's a post-structural feminist? You know, I should get to be one of them. And I, I remember like, you know, I, I, I had to go to the dictionary and I think I need to lie down after it. And, you know, I was just, but it, it was, it's like, it's a language that we've got, you know, and these like, um, you know, You've got. We've got to realise that asking a practitioner to sort of sit down and be in a position where not they're not just going to talk about what they've done. They're comfortable in talking about what they've done. They're comfortable in evidence and the the work that they're doing and wanting people to, um, you know, understand, you know, how they're making an impact in in the area that they're working in, but they may not. And this isn't any any sort of you know negative thing against the the practitioners at all. I'm, you know, I'm in the same boat myself. But you may not have the the language and the uh, and the skills that give you the confidence to be able to put that somewhere where the rest of us can share it and it can be published. Um, as my sort of um, career moved on, I, I was asked to be um, innovative practice editor at the WP and Lifelong Learning Journal. Um, the innovative practice section was invented to create a space for practitioners to publish the research and. We've had a real struggle just trying to get practitioners to submit to us. So, you know, every place I go to speak or everywhere, every conference I'm at, if I'm talking to somebody, having a cup of tea or whatever, I'm always saying, why don't you write that up? You know, that sounds good. You know, whatever you're telling me about, that sounds really good. Write it up. We can publish it because there's other people who'd really benefit from, from hearing about that. And we really struggle to get people to write it up. And when I say to them, you know, publish, they, they laugh and they say, oh, I'm not an academic. And it, it's like this self-perceived barrier that only academic writing is worthy of being written down and shared with people. And it's, a, you know, it's something we've got to really, you know, it's, it's we, we go out in the world and we try to make this cultural change as far as what writing and participation is concerned. We try to, you know, we say to the kids that we work with, You've got to think differently, you know, university's there for you, you've got to raise your aspirations, you've got to know that, you're, you've got to have an awareness of this, you can achieve it, you've got to change, 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 and it's always them. The institutions never ever felt they had to change, the institutions just stayed the same. We never changed our admissions policies, we never did anything to, you know, aim higher, the remit was to get the kids to the door, it was never what happens then. We didn't ever look at things like retention, that was it, they were there, our job was done which was wrong, we needed to sort of go further. But the same thing is happening with those in the profession. You know, we've got this remit where we we do the, some people do the operational, and then there's the more theoretical, the, uh, and people have said before, it's like the ivory tower, the the higher, the cleverer, and it, it does, it's like the, the labels that we use, I mean, you know, those of us who work in education now, straight away our negative label and can impact on a kid you know 
if you tell someone they're the naughty kids, they, they become the naughty kids, don't they, you know, all the time. So all of these negative labels. So if you tell, you know, the practitioners that we we want your research from the bottom up, or you know, um, you know, we want your research from the coal face, all those connotations are like, oh, okay, then we're from the bottom. We we'll do that research and give it up to to all of you know you you see, and we'll bow, you know, as we hand it in, kind of thing. So it's it it it, it, it the language give, makes you feel it. it it's kind of set in concrete those thoughts that you you've got anyway and that kind of doubt you know in your mind about whether your your writing uh, or you know your research is of a standard that that is accepted on on the same realm as everybody else's so um you know i think we've got to really sort of have a i think about i, I was just saying in the break earlier that it, this has been this is a fantastic this is the first seminar I've ever been to where we've actually discussed this out loud it's always been talked about but it's like we're, we're coming out into the open now and saying this is a problem and um you know I think we've got to start thinking of um you know actions to put in place about how because you know I think it was Jacqueline earlier who said that there's like the, these binaries and um you know the world's a different place now you know we're talking about like non-binary and gender and things like that. and if we can break non-binary and gender we can break it in the research world can't we you know that's a it, it, it's a much smaller context so I think we've got to think about putting things in, into place where we can um actually action um making making this um uh, doable basically for for everybody um and i think it was tom i think you were talking about um sort of the the contractual um terminology in higher education like the academic related and academic and uh, and you know that i had not really thought about it like that until you spoke today and but you, you know you're dead right that you know there is no way that you can get off a you know professional services track to a, an academic track that, that's not really open to people and they, they're them structural constraints that you know similar to how the universities didn't change their admissions process or anything the unit the, the structural constraints are, are, are there that we've got to overcome but their proposal you know they're things that we could think about you know making recommendations to change or you know showing that we can you know um the the, the potential is out there not just for the young people to come to AG but for the you know the the practitioners to to move over to to academic research as well. Um, I took a quote out from a, a book I was looking at on action research, and the quote says, "The audience for this book is not academic researchers whose interests do not lie in working with teachers, and whose research approaches are directed elsewhere." And I thought, this is you know. This, this again is just cementing these differences. They're just, you know, this is a book about action research. Anyone can do that. It's not, there's nothing special. You know, anyone in the world can do action research if we, if we know how to do it and we know there's a benefit and and we know there's a there's a there's a call for it. Um, but to have, and I'm not going to quote the book actually because I, you know, someone might know the person who wrote it actually, but but it's uh, I just thought it was like. It, it, it's it's really sort of it's not always just in our minds because it's reinforced in, in, in these areas and because I'm doing my PhD um, even though I've done all of this other research for years as I said earlier doing things like my literature review and I'm going back and looking at you know training and how to do it properly and you know I'm being really sort of um, you know, uh, a proper student about things, and I saw I was looking at something um, that talked about different types of um, of literature and different types of um, of research you can do, and I found this little quote that says, um, "Practice literature, 
and it says practice literature is that which is written by practitioners about their fields of expertise. Expert opinions, discussion articles and papers about how to are likely to be abound in your area of interest. These may be published observations and ideas about practice related issues. Be warned, and it actually says be warned. Some practice literature might overlap into what you would also classify as research. And I thought, <laughs> <laughs> this is it in a nutshell, as to like, you know, uh, obviously, you know, it, it, it's just, when I, la- I, I, I literally laughed out loud and I read it, and I thought, you couldn't, you couldn't make that up. It's, you know, there is no there is no difference in in the the benefits of the work that we're doing we're, we're all sharing the good, you know good practice what we term it as what words we use what language we develop uh, you know we, we've got to start welcoming other people in into that realm of, uh, and starting to me starting to recognize that there are some people who are not comfortable in, in doing what we're asking them to do and we're going to lose we, you know we've basically got a mass of information and evidence and knowledge in pockets all over the place and we're not seeing it because people aren't telling us about it or people aren't writing about it and it's it's sad that it's you know they we, we know we've had setbacks we've had political setbacks with with widening participation we're probably going to be faced with more political setbacks over widening participation and um, and it's people like us who, who turn out to events like this we've got to keep that that going and i've got to sort of you know keep pushing to get that that you know the the evidence that this is working, this is right. And Alex, you know, I, I've heard a call of in the past myself. You know, and I, I think he's great. And he, he's right in saying this country is. You know, they, they don't expect the working class kids to 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 be intelligent. They don't they don't want an educated working class. It's a problem to them. So you know, we've got to keep fighting to to get the evidence that out to the kids because where we're trying you know there's, there's plenty of others who will stop us getting that message out we don't need to stop ourselves by you know creating our own our own constraints and, and our own hierarchies that we um that that we worry about um so i think i think there's a, a a genuine fear i do i think i think you mentioned earlier there's a genuine fear and i think it's a, it is about um you, you know your, your own self perceptions, and I've said this before. Um, and I think we've got to um, open the debate about this, and we've got to really sort of get this um, going. Now I know I've spoke really quickly, and um, well, I haven't spoken as quickly as I thought actually. So <laughs> I did say I'd have about ten minutes at the end. 